Dobry den, yaksimayish. I'm Pavlina, host of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Join me Wednesdays at 11 a.m. for a bilingual hour of Ukrainian music, folklore, and factoids for the culturally curious. And at 12 noon, join Oksana for Nash Holos Ukrainian Hour here on CHLY 101.7 FM. Залишайтеся з нами наступну годину. Перед мікрофоном Оксана Побережник. І я дуже хочу подякувати пані Павліні за чудову передачу про Тараса Шевченка. Обіцяю, наступного разу ми продовжимо розповідь уже в моїй годині. І це буде дещо інакша розповідь. Це буде розповідь зі сторони з погляду нових іммігрантів, з погляду українців, які приїхали з пострадянської України, і ми дещо заторкнемо теми, такої складної теми, про розуміння, сучасне розуміння Шевченка. Дуже мені приємно було теж почути розповіді пісні канадців. Я, наскільки, наскільки я знаю, що постать Шевченка є тою основою, тим ядром для всіх українців міграції, і навколо цієї постаті гуртуються всі українські общини, безукраїнський люд. А наша передача сьогодні буде теж про іммігрантів, але дещо в іншому рослі. Більше століття розділяють нас, цих іммігрантів, які прибули останні роки, і тих перших іммігрантів, які прибули до Канади на запрошення уряду розбудовувати Канаду. Хто їхав і з якими почуттями, мріями, ми в Україні ще мали уявлення з творів Василя Стефаника, скажімо, а також з нечисленних спогадів родичів. Але якби хто спитав нас, як далі жилося тим українським першопроходцям, піонерам, якось навіть не задумувалися. Домовлювали власні історії про щасливе життя у Райській Канаді. Та й особливо не було як задумуватися. Це були часи Першої світової війни, коли таке пекло колотилося по всій Європі. Але зовсім несподівано для мене, а також для всіх канадців, яких я розпитувала, яким я розповідала. А ще найбільш несподівано це було дізнатися, що і українці не знають цієї історії. Що ж було як жилося тим українцям, першим українцям першої хвилі імміграції. Ось це буде сьогоднішня наша передача. А розпочну цю розповідь, продовжу точніше розповідь піснею Юлії Дошної «Полетів би на край світу». Це лемківська пісня про емігрантів, які поїхали до Америки. Америцький край, як говорили лемки. Oh, 
Сьогодні ми маємо чудову нагоду зустрітися з професором політичних наук, паном Богданом Корданом. І пан Богдан Кордан викладає зараз в університеті Сискатуну. Він є автором багатьох книжок про темну частину історії Канади. Я б сказала, досить таки приховану для багатьох канадійців, для практично всіх українців. А як я стикнулася з цією темою? Зовсім випадково, я б сказала. Ось я живу в маленькому містечку, українців практично там немає, але люди запитували, звідки я, чуючи мій акцент такий досить жахливий, я б сказала. І коли я говорила з України, багато з них говорили, о, моя баба з України, мої прадіди з України, і я запитала, а коли ж вони приїхали? Виявлялося, що вони приїхали якраз першою хвилею мігрантів. Ну і наступні запитання були, типу, далі як вони жили, що було? Відповідь була, ми не знаємо, вони не говорили. Багато з них відповідали, що прадіди змінили прізвища. Це мене, звичайно, дуже здивувало. Чому ж вони змінили прізвища? Ну, я подумала, в той час, можливо, Важко було вимовляти. Ось, скажімо, канадійці мають проблему з моїм прізвищем, побережник. Можливо, їхні прізвища теж було важко вимовляти, але виявилося зовсім інакше. Виявляється, бути українцем в цей час було дуже небезпечно. І це складно було досить знайти і роботу, і проживати взагалі в суспільстві. Досить були такі складні часи для українців. Це якраз 100 років тому, початок Першої світової війни. І далі, наскільки я чула, 
аж до 60-70-х років було досить таке негативне ставлення до українців. Чому? Це досить дивно. Українці прибули сюди на запрошення канадського уряду, і вони вважалися дуже добрими працівниками, дуже міцними, здоровими, сильними, невибагливими. Вони працювали настільки важко, що взагалі здавалося би, Усе суспільство, уряд мали би сказати просто дякую їм за це, але ж ні, щось таке сталося, і от причина якраз була в тих подіях, які творилися у Європі. Одна жінка, вона японка сама, вона мені сказала, так, я знаю, ми жили, мої родичі після війни були відселені з Британської Колумбії в Альберту і жили серед української громади, і я знаю про події, які, які спіткали, про цю трагедію, яка спіткала українців в час Першої світової війни. І сьогодні я хочу розпитати про одного з основних дослідників цього періоду історії, пана Богдана Кордана. Добрий день. Добрий. Я знаю, що ви приїжджаєте до нас у Вікторію, і усіх 10 березня о 3 годині в Українському культурному центрі. Це є 3277 Даглас Стріт у Вікторії. І всі, хто нас чує зараз в ефірі, і також на нашому сайті буде викладено запис цієї передачі. Усіх-усіх я запрошую на презентацію книжки пана Богдана Кордона. Що це за книжка? Розкажіть, будь ласка. Дякую, дякую, що знаєш, запросили на програму. А я буду говорити по-англійськи, бо радше, знаєш, краще мені легше, щоб говорити на англійському мову. The book itself is sort of a study about the relationship between ethnic minorities who had arrived to Canada and the government of Canada during a period of great turmoil and conflict, the First World War. And specifically, it's about those individuals who had immigrated to Canada from um, countries that were at war with Britain and the Empire, uh, namely Germany as well as Austro-Hungary and the Ottoman Empire. And these were immigrants who found themselves in Canada at a time when, in effect, they were seen to be um, individuals who were of enemy birth, hence the term that I was often used to describe them as enemy aliens. So this is a story about enemy aliens in Canada during the First World War and the relationship they had um, not only with the government, but also with the host society, with Canadians at large. The conflict in the First World War provided an important context by which um, we begin to see what the nature of that relationship was between the government and the, and the various uh, uh, communities affected. These communities um, where individuals were of enemy birth. And, um, and the conflict also provided a context by which, in effect, uh, the host society asked some very important questions regarding these so-called enemies uh, um, within our midst. What was the appropriate attitude? Uh, um, what, would be, what should be the position that the government would take with respect to enemy aliens? And um, what should uh, the government uh, do if, in fact, that 
these uh, individuals of enemy birth uh, violated the laws of the land. So that's the story. Um, that's the story. That's the larger story. Um, but the specific story ultimately is how it affected the Ukrainian community, which the largest number of those in effect were affected by government policies at the time were of uh, individuals of enemy birth hailing from the territories of the former Austro-Hungarian Empire from Halicina, Bukovina, so on and so forth. Some 5,000 individuals were interned uh, were of Ukrainian birth, uh, but there were 8,579 individuals who, in fact, were placed in detention camps or so-called internment camps um, as a result of government policy and government, uh, government action at the time. So that's the story, and the book basically details the relationship between the government and enemy aliens, the host society and enemy aliens, and then what once happened to these individuals once they found themselves in these internment camps, which were located right across the country. There are 24 such camps, mm-hmm. and they, they, they were in operation from 1914 you know, uh, alien birth, uh, non-naturalized. And so um, under under Canadian law, uh, during the First World War, were described as aliens of enemy nationality. And these were the individuals who, in effect, became the target of, of government policy. Uh, the long and short of it is um, that the government... Uh, Um, with the the war uh, commencing, the question was uh, what should be the appropriate relationship of the the government's uh, responsibility to these these people. And for those that would violate the law, for example, try to cross over the border into the United States Uh and try to make their way back home, Mm -hmm. these individuals were automatically interned. Uh, Uh They were interned because they were seen to be you know, individuals who were um, potential enemy combatants. So Canada interned these people, but so did every other country, did likewise. So there's internment in Germany, there was internment uh-huh. in Austro-Hungary, in Britain, Australia, the United States, Canada, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the the story is much wider and, and bigger than that. Uh, and uh, it has largely to do with um, the potential threat that these people presented in the context of economic crisis and economic downturn. So when you take a look at sort of the arrests that occurred of all these people, they principally had to do with the fact that these individuals were homeless, jobless, unemployed. Um, This is at a time when the economy in Canada was contracting, when um, the war conditions uh, made um, native-born Canadians uh, individuals who uh, who are Canadians by birth to choose between who do you hire and who do you fire, and so mm-hmm. they so they they let go a lot of uh, the so-called enemies of na- enemy or aliens of enemy nationality, and they were unemployed, jobless, homeless. And the government asked the question, "What should we do with these individuals who 
for the most part, uh, were harmless, but presented a social economic threat in the sense that presenting sort of disturbances that could have bearing on the war effort and the like. And so these were the individuals who were arrested and finally interned and placed in these labor camps in, uh, across Canada, but most, more, more especially in Western Canada, uh, in the uh, in the interior reaches of British Columbia, in the mountain reaches of British Columbia, as well as in the uh, uh, the national parks uh, of Western Canada as well. На панутка загальна історія і гомофобія в суспільстві сприяли тому, що багато роботодавців звільняли своїх працівників. Так, так, правильно. І ці люди автоматично попадали в розряд безробітних і легко попадали в табори. Це були сімейні люди чи це були одинокі? Наскільки я знаю, більше чоловіків таке було. Так, правильно, більше чоловіків, так. Переважно це ж мужчини, двадці до сорокових. Ага, це просто використали їх як рабів. Так, правильно, правильно. А не відсилали їх назад у Галичину, скажімо, не було таких випадків? Так, так. At the end of the war, you know, most of these people were during the course of the uh, of uh, 1914 to 1918 as the economic conditions in the country improved most of these people were released into industry and back to far in the in the employ of farming farmers and the like so the vast majority were reintegrated within canadian society and the canadian economy but there was about 1100 individuals at the end of the war who were seen to be undesirable that was the term that was used to describe these individuals and they were sent back or deported to um to Ukraine to this at that time the Soviet Union um uh, and uh, of course to Germany so uh th- these were individuals who were deported but the the question of what made them undesirable well they, you know having spent five years or four years within an internment camp um they objected to their internment they were very hostile to Canadian political authority uh, and so they had a very uh, aggressive attitude towards you know Canada and and, and uh, Canadian officials and so these were individuals who were selected um, uh-huh. set aside and then eventually deported at the end of the war А наскільки я знаю, ще деякі українці, вони якраз служили в канадському війську. Як було з ними? Вони продовжували служити чи були випадки теж, що їх? Yeah, uh, it, it was at the time it was against the laws for aliens of enemy birth, specifically aliens of Austro-Hungarian nationality to enlist in the Canadian expeditionary forces. And so these individuals uh, were prevented from enlisting, but to those that did enlist, some were found out and they were automatically uh they were in Europe, they were sent back and placed in internment camps. Um, and um, uh, others, of course, uh, uh, continued to serve regardless of, of, of their enemy nationality status. But um, this does not mean that Ukrainians generally did not serve uh, for those that were part of the Russian Empire at the time. Uh, as allies, um, Ukrainians from the Russian uh, Russian Empire uh, could serve as uh, as uh, aliens of allied nationality within the Canadian Expeditionary Forces. And so as a result, you'll even see 
Philip Konovan, who uh, was an individual who was born in in the Russian Empire, served in the Canadian forces and earned uh, Canada's highest military honor, the Victoria Cross. Так, я чула цю історію, теж досить цікава історія, до речі, такий славний українець. Дякувати Богу, він не постраждав від тогочасних настроїв і в суспільстві, і в політиці. Але давайте вернемось далі, саме до цих людей. Я знаю, що люди були, наскільки я чула, що Люди були настільки залякані, що вони дійсно не розповідали ні родичам, ні, взагалі нікому, що сталося в той час. Напевно, вони боялися повторення. Чи які, які були передумови? Чого от вони не захищали себе? Чи вони, well, ну, та, напевно, я собі прошу. так підозрюю, що я так собі підозрюю, думаю, що вони... Ситуація була така, що люди, це були в основному селяни, там, або зміст бідні люди, вони досить погано знали англійську і досить погано, певно, знали свої права в країні, так? Так, правильно. You know, um, you know, to the, this question about, you know, the, the experience, you know, when you, it's not just simply that there were 8,579 individuals in internment camps, uh, but the, the all enemy uh, or aliens of enemy nationality had to report to um magistrates or or to the police or to officials appointed by the crown to report on a weekly or bi-weekly basis um and uh, so th- what you're seeing at the time was a mass surveillance system or some somewhere upwards of close to 100,000 individuals uh minimum 85,000 individuals of uh mm-hmm. who were asked to report regularly to the police mm-hmm. so this had a huge impact Um, huge impact on these communities, specifically the Ukrainian community, and uh, you know, and they did not speak about this experience because of um, a number of reasons: the humiliation to begin with, and secondly, it's also a question of uh, fear. You know, and you spoke earlier at the start of your program about you know the fear that grips this community, and it and it, and it was fear. If these individuals were placed behind barbed wire once, it could be done again. You know, I did some work or study on the Ukrainian community in the Second World War, and looking at some of the RCMP archival documents, there are these accounts that indicated that um, the Ukrainians. Um, um, were fairly docile and in their political uh, sort of uh, views and uh, and and there was no real um, active a- a- there's no real activism among the Ukrainian community largely because as those those uh, RCMP officials noted is that uh, the effect of internment in the first world war had such an uh, an impact on on that community and that they were fearful of the barbed wire again So it goes to it speaks to the larger issue, which is in effect how it's not just simply about these eight thousand five hundred individuals who were behind barbed wire, but um, the social psychological impact of that experience more generally on the population, and uh, and it it's, it has relevance for us today. Um, it has um, it has bearing on on how we should conduct ourselves today, knowing full well the impact of these kinds of experiences on communities on individuals because remember that these you know although many of these individuals that were interned were single uh, single men 
there were families that were affected. People married men and mm-hmm. uh, who were taken away and placed in these camps, uh, who left behind children and, and wives, who had to uh, fend for themselves. And there are countless stories of how the suffering of these families while people were, were, were sent off to these camps and the impact of that on the general community uh, about uh, how precarious their existence as immigrants in this country was. Ага, а де саме знаходились ці табори? Про один я знаю, він от буквально знаходився в Нанайму, от буквально зовсім недалеко від цього місця, де одна студія зараз знаходиться. Це, кажуть, близько біля яхт-клубу. А де ще були табори? І чи залишилися якісь будівлі, скажімо, чи якісь місця, знахідки, оці як? Uh, you know, some of these internment camps were military facilities. Um, and so in places like Kingston and Halifax, where you have, these were part of the military forts, and so, or in Toronto, it's the Stanley Barracks or some of the other armories that were around the country. And so these things still exist, and they exist as, as part of a milita- the military fortress. But for the most part, a lot of these internment camps were labor camps that were sent, uh, where these individuals were sent to work on on road projects, building bridges, mm-hmm. um, cutting down large tracts of forest to clear land, and it was in the middle of nowhere. So there's no evidence of these camps uh, any mm-hmm. longer. Here and there, where, there's, where we have some sort of documentation of where that camp might exist, mm-hmm. you'll see some barbed wire. From that, mm-hmm. from that past. Uh, um, but for the most part, all of these camps uh, and the buildings uh, were just uh, just disappeared with uh, as of, through the force of nature. Ага. Наскільки важко було знаходити інформацію про людей, про табори? Well, the the National Archives uh-huh. is full of information. Uh, Uh, the, the government of Canada has been very meticulous in record keeping, so you will find you'll find uh, sort of documents and evidence about about what had happened in various departmental files, whether it's the militia department, which is now the Department of Defense, or you'll have information. Це не була секретна інформація. Вас допускали? No, no, it's all, ага. it's all, it's all available uh, after 70 years. All the ага. files are now open. The difficulty was that 1952, uh, for privacy reasons and for and for storage reasons, uh, individual personnel files of these internees were ага. destroyed by the government of Canada. Так. So, ага. so the, the specific stories of individuals well you know where you have you'll have a record of what had happened to them uh what occurred to them while they were interned all of that was destroyed in 1952 not intentionally um but as a result of what they believed was an important consideration that this, these were private matters and they um that was uh, the personal stories of individuals who um the government could not share at the time so those those files are not available а також ви, певно, зустрічалися з тими людьми, які пережили. Чи це вже було дуже складно їх зустріти в цей в той час, коли ви взялися за дослідження? You know, the events happened a long time ago. So when I was I was when I started working on this project maybe 30 years ago where I began looking at internment, I did come across a few individuals. 
and uh, an important story. Uh, uh, one individual was a woman, uh, um, um, a woman uh, by the name of Mary Manko. Um, and Mary Manko was um, a child at the time of the internment. And she, with her family, were interned in a camp in northern Quebec called Spirit Lake. Um, the government at the time did allow for not only the men, but some of their families to be taken into internment. And so she, as a child, remembers quite vividly of being interned in a, in a prison camp. And at that time, uh, her younger sister had died of pneumonia. And the, why I'm relating this story was because um, her, she told the story to her children and to her grandchildren, saying that she was in a prison camp, you know, an internment camp here in Canada. And um, the children were disbelieving. They didn't believe that this could, something like that could have happened in Canada. And as you well know, the, the story of internment is not very well known, which is why I wrote this book. Um, and they just didn't believe that something like that had happened to their mother. They believed that, you know, that she either remembered a story that her parents had told her, so it happened, you know, in the old country, in Ukraina, but not here. It couldn't have happened here. But she was insistent, saying, no, it happened here. And even though she had tried to explain to them it was in northern Quebec, they couldn't find evidence of that camp. Mm -hmm. So they just, just simply chose to disbelieve until one day, they came across a newspaper article that spoke about that camp and its, and 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 what had happened to individuals in that camp in northern Quebec, and so it really goes to to your question about you know uh, who were these people? Uh, do we have contact with them? It's the rare rare moments, but even in those moments, um, these are individuals who whose whose personal stories have now been lost largely because. It, they couldn't be confirmed or there was disbelief that something like that could have happened in Canada. Знаючи умови, канадські умови і канадські зими, от навіть зараз дуже складно уявити, які ж умови були для тих людей, які проживали в таборах той час. It was very difficult. Oh. You know, um, these are camps that were located in the interior of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mountain regions. Um, most of these these camps were were not permanent, but rather were just made of canvas tents. Uh, these were also camps that were uh, located in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, again, canvas tents in the, in the middle of the mountains. They, um, <laughs> when you read about the sort of the, the stories of what had happened in these camps where individuals were constantly trying to flee um, mm-hmm. from these camps, uh, almost, uh, almost, um, almost regularly they sort of cited the bad conditions, um, the, the cold, the, the snow, uh, the hunger, um, the hard work. Uh, um, and so uh, many of these individuals under, under guard and under the threat of being shot while fleeing mm-hmm. took that chance at escape. So these were very difficult circumstances, and in, the, in terms of the actual record, some, uh, you know, I don't have the figures in front of me, but uh, scores of individuals were shot, and some, of course, were killed uh, trying to escape. Ну так, в принципі, дуже складно було втекти, тому що, ну, куди втечеш з глухого, холодного зимового лісу, це 
дуже-дуже складно справді. І люди, які були обесилені, але все ж таки були такі люди, яким вдалося уникнути? Так, Uh, and, and were successful at doing it. Others less so. You know, there's this one example where um, prisoners were being sent from Western Canada to uh-huh. Northern Ontario for safekeeping in a, in a much more secure facility. And uh, the individual um, uh, on the north shore of Lake Superior jumped from the train and guards were sent out in pursuit, but they couldn't find him. And then six months later, they found his his body uh, not far from the railway tracks, but he was, of course, um, emaciated uh, and had um, had died of, um, died of exposure. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, success in certain cases and non-success in others, but it really points to, I think, the difficult circumstances in which these people uh, sort of lived and and the willingness to even um, face death to uh, secure their freedom. Але, наскільки я знаю, деякі люди утримувалися в таборах уже і по закінченню війни. Це було нелегально, так? Це просто власники тих таборів вирішили використати їх і далі, чи як? Well, the war ended in November 1918, but uh, the peace treaty was not signed until 1920. Um, a great number were released to you know to industry and the like under under very strict uh, under very strict conditions but something like 3,000 individuals remained in these camps from 1918 to 1920 and it wasn't that it was illegal they were illegally detained but these were individuals in effect who were being processed to being deported back mm-hmm. to their respective homelands it included Germans but also a vast majority being Ukrainians And this had to be negotiated. In the case of the Germans, there was a German, after the war, there was a German authority that was prepared to accept these individuals. It wasn't clear, for instance, about Ukrainians, who would accept them. You know, the Austro-Hungary didn't exist any longer. So the Austrian government in Vienna, uh, a republic, uh, which was for all intents and purposes a... uh, a German-speaking uh, nation didn't want Ukrainians, and so where do you ship these people to? Um, what they did was they sent them to Europe, to Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and just let them loose, and they had to make their own way back home. How many made their way back home? God only knows. Uh, did they make their way back to Ukraine? God only knows. Mm-hmm. But there was uh, there were about 1,100 who were deported at the end of the war. But this this had to be negotiated with the sort of uh, the, uh, the the countries. But uh, in the absence of that that uh, you know a political agreement, uh, Canada nevertheless uh, deported these individuals by just simply letting them go mm-hmm. uh, in Europe um, at a time when Europe was still very much in chaos. 
До речі, мені теж ще досі мені цікаво, наскільки я знаю з села моїх прадідів, люди теж виїжджали сюди до Канади. Можливо, це серед них були і мої родичі. От я взагалі не знаю. Взагалі для мене це настільки закрита частина моєї історії. Можливо, це були сусіди. Можливо. А серед таких знаменитих, можна сказати, сусідів моїх, це бабуся Вайна Грецькі. Так, вона, здається, трохи раніше виїхала, ще кінець 19 століття, може початок 20-го, саме-саме початок, одним словом, це її не торкнулося, але ось, знаю, люди виїжджали, можливо, треба буде далі провести мені пошуки. Скажіть, будь ласка, а що вас наштовхнуло на пошуки, на дослідження цієї історії, у вас теж родичі, можливо? Ні, це ви просто... I have no connection to that that history. My parents immigrated to Canada after the war in 1950. They came to to, to Canada in 1949. So this is uh, this does not uh, have a personal connection for me except to say that I'm part of a community and um I think for me the the um the story begins um, by the fact that uh, as a as a as a Canadian but also as a student of Canadian history I was very much interested in in uh, the relationship between the government and and its ethnic minorities and here you find a story that's not very well known um and it's not very well known even within the Ukrainian community mm-hmm. which was very much affected by government policy at the time where they were not only interned but also were tens of thousands uh were actually um required to register and report to the police uh and, and and yet there was no talk about it there was no there was no discussion about this and i found it really quite astonishing my own interest is in human rights and so as a result uh-huh. of that i began to take on this important uh, project of trying to um, bring attention to it but also to write about it in such a way that uh um the community the Ukrainian com- community might know of its own history but i think more generally the, the canadian public might know that these things do happen in canada uh, and uh, they really speak to this question of being vigilant uh, at times of national crisis when rights are under threat Угу. До речі, для всіх слухачів наш голос. Я хочу нагадати ще раз, що професор політичних наук університету Саскатуні пан Богдан Кордан цієї п'ятниці приїжджає до Вікторії, український центр, о третій годині і буде презентувати свою нову книжку. Як назва цієї книжки? No, no free man. Угу. Canada, the great war. And the enemy alien experience. А це розширення вашої роботи попередніх книжок, чи це продовження? Як? Продовження. 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 Ага. Тому я запрошую всіх бажаючих послухати і ознайомитися, купити так само можна книжку. І я б сказала, що це дешевше, ніж на Амазоні. Я вже подивилася раніше. Я, от коли я досліджувала цю тему, я шукала різні книжки. І от буквально недавно теж подивилася, що є. Так що ви маєте унікальну нагоду отримати цю книжку. Це справді таке дуже глибоке історичне дослідження із автографом пана Богдана. Можете потім ще своїм внукам передавати, тому що пан Богдан, наскільки я знаю, це одна з основних постатей, чоловік, який приклався, дуже значно приклався, я б сказала, до відкриття цієї завіси над подіями Першої світової війни. 
І скажіть, будь ласка, ви були у групі, яка спонукала канадський уряд признати? Як то? Прошу знову. Скажіть, будь ласка, наскільки я знаю, канадський уряд признав табори інтернованих у 2005 році, тобто зовсім недавно, коли свідків практично вже не лишилося. Але я знаю, що це група українців-активістів, які спонукали та, канадський так, уряд. Так, так. Це ви теж, і, так? І я з ними теж працював на цю тему. Так, так, це так. було дуже складно Щоб... зробити це зрушення. Так, то ще від 88-му року, ага. знаєш, ми так це ж притискали уряд, щоб, знаєш, відзначили, що це ці події, і щоб дати нагоду нашу громаду, щоб висловити їх, знаєш, uh-huh. їх думки, їх, знаєш, і their grievances, і, і так ну, далі. Наскільки я знаю, що от, про японців, коли вони теж пережили табори і виселення, це 40 років практично велися судові і розслідування, і тиск зі сторони так. Японії з 48-го до 88-го. Аж в 88-му році канадський уряд вирішив виплатити компенсації. Просив вибачення і вирішив виплатити компенсації. І Щодо української общини, це тільки у 2005 році. Тобто теж дуже довго це все, це важко. А для всіх слухачів я хочу теж порекомендувати подивитися досить цікаві короткі відео на Ютубі. Називається The Camps. Це багато серій, багато серій про різні табори у Канаді, різні місцевості, спогади людей, спогади родичів цих людей, музейних працівників, істориків. Ви теж приклалися до цих фільмів, наскільки я знаю, та? разом так. з Райаном Бойко. Так. І хто ще? О, другі історики. Там, є другі історики і громадські діячі і так далі. Ага. І як оці фільми, як ви які наміри у вас впровадити ці фільми у школи, в університети? Ну що, ось моя донька буквально недавно закінчила школу, вони в школі цього не вивчали. No, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, навіть, не, навіть не згадували ні словечко. No, no, no. But here's an opportunity. Uh, uh-huh. you, you know, these are, for example, these, these short film clips, you know, they are very easy, very easy to, to access and так, to... Так, дуже легко, це справді, досить цікаві фільми, так. Very, very much so, yeah, very much so. Uh, and, but there's, uh, Ryan Boyko has called upon all, all sorts of individuals to assist him in making possible this film, and so, um, these films, rather, and, and uh, so it's been a very successful project. Uh, Uh, and going back to the the, the question of of uh, of uh, the government and uh, and its acknowledgement of this wrong, um, uh, there is an educational fund that was established by the government of Canada uh, that is um, overseen by a group um, uh, a group uh, associated with the Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund. And so they sponsor projects, uh, mm-hmm. such as the writing of this book, uh, the grant which I received, I'm most grateful. But Ryan Boyko also received grants for the production of this film. And so they encourage people 
and communities to uh, to come up with projects to you know to both research but also to 